Welcome back to Keep It. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. Mm. That should be said sensually and not in the traditional. That's from Home Alone, right? I almost, my brain tripped. It's from Home Alone. Yes, it's from Home Alone. I don't think I've watched a single Christmas movie this year. You know what's weird about regurgitating the discussion about what the best Christmas movie is? We've all seen them a million times now. I'm just, I have nothing left to mine from them. Fair, fair. Yeah, we need new ones. Yeah. And not the Hallmark card. Yeah, right. Well, we rehashed that this week. No offense to our girl Danica McKellar, but it's a pass for now. I will say Vanessa Hudgens's The Night Before Christmas is very schlocky in the Princess Switch vein. Oh, okay. Yes. It's a knight is transported to present day, and then he falls for her, who's a high school science teacher. I feel like I'm constantly being forced to fall in love with Vanessa Hudgens. Remember when we put her on the panel of So You Think You Can Dance? Is she still on that show? I don't know. And her comments ranged from great job to wow to I really loved that. <laughs> Remember when she was on the panel for Drag Race? Oh, I'm, yes. I'm really into voguing right now. Which means you've heard of it. <laughs> I, I've uh, heard of voguing right now. I used to stand Vanessa Hudgens. And then you remember she was like, I would love to work with Woody Allen. Right. How did she not pick up on that cultural discussion? Well, she, she's busy. Like, you're telling me she's, like, locked in a room with bullets over Broadway still? Like, N- here it is. I love it. Netflix has her on a soundstage, and they are filming a different movie every week. Okay. Uh, you know it is one of the definitive Christmas movies, though? A Diva's Christmas Carol with oh, Vanessa Williams. I feel like we talked about that last year. Okay. Well, I mean, there are certain classics that reward you again and again. Bear act- repeating. Yes. The acting career of Kathy Griffin, always on my mind. Yeah, she does what she has to do. <laughs> what is she, the ghost of Christmas present? Anyway, she's loud-mouthed and teaching a diva not to be so much of a diva. As much as I enjoy her acting... Uh, and I use that term very loosely, is the worst part of the worst episode of X-Files. Well, until the reboot happened. Uh, Kathy Griffin was on the X-Files? Yes. Wow. In an episode called Fight Club, and she plays a twin. Oh, good. It's utterly insane, and she's so awful in it. Well, you know, one of the great reality TV show moments of all time is when she was rehearsing for a guest stint on Law & Order SVU, and they're rehearsing it, and she can't get it right, and the entire cast is frustrated. It's one of those things where the whole episode is set up to be, like, schlocky. Oh, but, you know, we'll mingle with the stars. It'll be great, and actually devolves into a real and uncomfortable moment. <laughs> Tough to rewatch in a way. But also, Kathy Griffin, weirdly good at being vulnerable in, on her reality show. So of I course. always miss that show. Yes. I mean, I loved her on the reality show. It's a yeah. perfect comedian. Um, a perfect comedian. Your Trump-like compliments. <laughs> She's a perfect comedian. Acting, great gowns. Yeah. <laughs> Beautiful gowns. Beautiful gowns. Beautiful ghosts. <laughs> this episode is not a mailbag, uh, so don't turn off your dial. <laughs> uh, oh, do you think podcast listeners don't like mailbag episodes? I don't know. Some people do, oh, but yeah. sometimes we have to trick them. And it's not a clip show either. Remember when we tricked them into listening to a clip show last year? Uh, yeah. Guys, I'm sorry. You were dumb. Well... <laughs> Don't fall for it again. (laughs) We grew up in the 90s. We know how to dupe people into listening to a clip show. Yeah. No, in in a way, I feel like it it makes us seem legitimate that we would do that. You know, like a bottle episode of One Day at a Time where they're trapped in an elevator and we're recounting all their adventures and divorce. (laughs) Uh, 
we've got a extra special holiday episode for you all. Lewis and I are going to be getting into our favorite films of the decade. And then Aida will join us for a conversation on our favorite music, TV, and books of the decade. Which is super daunting. I thought I was going to have a crystal clear memory of the decade, but turns out it's not solidified yet. Like I thought of the movie 12 Years a Slave the other day. I'm like, Jesus, what year is that? And I was like, and then it took me like a minute to realize 2013, of course. Yeah. And then we'll be joined by Shawnee Nicholas to talk about astrology and why you are seeing it constantly talked about on Twitter and Instagram. And we're going to get into my chart, Aida's chart, and a little bit of Lewis's and find out what any of that even means. As you know, I'm uh, a skeptic when it comes to this stuff, and I'm worried she's going to tap into some heretofore unseen part of my psyche and like make me weep on air, so we'll see. Well, listen, Scully. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to get into it. All right. That means I'm older. <laughs> and John Lovett is the cigarette smoking man. Oh, sure. <laughs> we'll be right back. Why don't we start out with movies first? Best movies of the decade. All right. But I'm going to give a caveat. Everything on this list, of mine at least, uh, I don't know how you structured yours. Yeah. My list is my favorites of the decade. I'm not making a best of list because that list would obviously include like 12 Years a Slave. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, or Carol. Uh, but I'm talking about movies that were my favorite to enjoy you know, I'm that saying, I'm rewatching. Like I don't rewatch 12 years of life. It actually, it bothers me that there has to be a schism like this, but I, I think it's necessary to point out. There's just a difference between movies that you're sort of addicted to and, you know, uh, eat up like a Flintstone vitamin every day. And then <laughs> once you definitely will never return to again, you know, mine, I think are, I'm, I did my best to make a combination of both. But, like, you're not going to see, for instance, The Tree of Life on my list. You will not see it on mine either. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that year when just the world decided on Jessica Chastain and they threw her at us seven or eight times? Yes. Yeah. yeah. We uh, didn't vote on her. She just appeared. Like a comet. And you know what? She's caught in Molly's game. Still. <laughs> How many do you have? Uh, I just picked five. Oh, you just picked five? Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we go with your first okay well i'm gonna cluster three of mine together because they sort of encapsulate what i will remember about the decade most and they are carol which again i'm sorry we've maybe discussed that movie to death on this podcast but at the same time there's no other movie like that where it's one so beautiful looks i mean it looks like a gay man's coloring book or something (laughs) just down to the costumes down to the look on kate blanchett's face constantly everything is a moving painting and and the drama of it is to invoke an ira term cirque level you know Mm. and uh it's probably worth noting that todd haynes is fucking obsessed with douglas cirque so of course yeah that influence is there also call me by your name which talk about moving painting and then also Moonlight, mm. and the three of those together to me signified that I will remember about this decade exquisite queer stories. Yes. It's not just that they're interesting or truthful or, you know, in, in some cases just recognizably, you know, human. There's something about the level of grandiosity in them that is beyond any heterosexual story I've seen. The, I, these movies get at the sort of intense, and singular joy of 
queer romance. And I feel like that is a specific find of this decade in movies. Okay. Yeah. I love that. How about that essay I wrote for you? You sure Salon. did. Salon.com, I am right here. <laughs> find me. I will say that the end of the decade really gave us a lot of beautiful queer films that weren't like the ones we grew up with. You yeah. Know? They weren't message films. Um, they felt human. They felt important. Um, they felt beautiful. Even a message film um, that I really liked, 100 Beats Per Minute, mm-hmm. I thought was gorgeous. Oh, too. that movie's that great. Films. Yeah. yeah. Um, Call Me By Your Name and Moonlight are both on my list. Oh, yeah. I do, of course, wish these movies had more actual queer people in them. And again, I, I, was, I posed this question before, and I'm wondering if people can answer it for me. In Carol, Sarah Paulson, who is, of course, a lesbian, plays a lesbian in the movie. I want to know if there are any other lesbian roles this decade in popular films, but in any film, really, where a lesbian played the role, specifically in a drama, I'd like to know. That's just incredibly rare. Yeah, it would be nice to see more American films about lesbians having those actual lesbian actresses in them, too. Right. You know, um, having actual gay actors in films, too. I feel like it's why I respect Pose so much. It's not my favorite, and it's not going to be on my list of the best of the decade, but I I enjoy that show so much, uh, and I really just enjoy the fact that these trans characters are played by trans people. Mm -hmm, Right. Do you know what I think is the straightest movie on my list that I still want to mention because I I want to prove to people that there is a realm of heterosexuality that I approve of and will watch? Okay. My answer is Whiplash. Mm. First of all, it's a very... I like movies where not a word is wasted. There's not Uh an extra scene, not an extra line of dialogue that feels out of place. Every part of it adds up to the whole. And also, you can't tear your eyes away. And just the intensity of both J.K. Simmons and Miles Teller, who, by the way, may be a definitive actor of the decade for me, starting with uh, Rabbit Hole, of course. You know I fucking love Miles Teller. Yeah. He's the reason my guns are topped. I'm there. Oh, right. He's in that movie. Top Gun Maverick. I'm not over the fact that the woman in that movie is Jennifer Connelly. Yes. She just re- reappears <laughs> like a cicada every 17 years. <laughs> Last time I saw you was what? House of Sand and Fog or some shit? <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, he's in that, and the trailer showed him on the beach. He looks great. Yeah, he does look great. Um, also, personal story, and it revolves around the holidays. You'll all like this, or at least tolerate it. Every year at home, when I'm around, I have three brothers, and my mom and my dad, we'd like try to watch a movie together, sometimes at a theater, sometimes at home. My mom, who is deeply disinterested in pop culture, and it is a wonder she can sit through this podcast, and she does it every week. Um, always falls asleep. She has, if if not narcolepsy, some other disorder. Like, I can't, descri- I don't know what's happening. <laughs> um, and, like, she'll fall asleep during movies she picks. So this year, I was like, we're going to go in another direction, and you will be shocked awake the entire time. And to this day, Whiplash is the only movie she has ever sat through and stayed awake for. And at the end of it, she goes, well, I don't know if I liked anybody in that movie. I'm like, good. <laughs> and you're awake. I think I love your mother. Yeah. (laughs) The cautious, optimistic skepticism is correct. Yeah. Uh, And then what's your last film? Oh, and then also Two Days, One Night, which is a movie I've brought up on here. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a Marion Cotillard uh, movie in French, directed by the Dardenne brothers. It's about a woman who learns in order to keep her job, she has to convince everybody she works with at this factory to give up their huge or relatively huge Christmas bonuses. And it's just this movie about, you know, frustrating, soul-sucking, 
capitalism that's about 90 minutes long. It's really mm. just her having one-on-one interactions with her coworkers. And the ending is, to go back to an earlier word, so exquisite. There should be classes on how to write endings like this that feel so satisfying. It's that combination of the ending feels inevitable and also surprising. And I think that's just what a perfect ending is all about. And God, Marion Cotillard is just... You, first of all, she's like bewitchingly gorgeous. And then secondly, just every emotion registers on her face. She has like a drug problem in this movie, kind of, that I, I feel manifests in her body movements in a really awesome way. She's just one of the best actresses ever. Mm. That was a good list. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I made 10. Yeah, I know. Look at you. You did mm. some real homework. Uh, well, you already talked about Moonlight, and yeah. I think I've already talked about how much that film means to me. I think it's gorgeous. I think Barry Jenkins is one of the best directors that we have right now. Yeah. Um, I just love his the way that he instills romance into everything that he directs. Like His camera, just like I love the way it moves. I love the way it sees black people. I love the way that his films are true collaborations with the composers, with the cinematographer. Um, I just, I love it so much. There's something about that movie too where the final scene where it's just the two guys reuniting in that restaurant and it lingers for a long time and in some ways nothing is happening, in some ways like a lot's happening. What it leads up to, you might think like, oh, is that too little for a payoff? But in a way... It's not like it's expressive enough for those two people. It's a, it's a it's a very provocative ending that is not in any way salacious. During its release, I remember there was a lot of talk about you know like why didn't we see them sleep with each other? Why didn't we etc. I love that movie a lot more now as time goes on. I think it ended the way it should have ended. I know he's influenced a lot by Chinese director Wong Kar Wai. Ah uh, yes, in the mood for love etc. Yeah, um, and the film Happy Together, uh, which is a beautiful romance film about two men and it ends in sort of an almost melancholy sort of way that it's reflected in Moonlight um, and I feel like he gives us the sweeter companion to that movie. Yeah. Uh, There are actually things about that movie that go under-discussed, like how awesome the kid performances are. Yeah. Which I continue to think is an incredibly rare situation when I'm looking at a kid and not mad at it. Yeah. Parasite. Parasite fucking rules. Yeah, it's fucking amazing. You can, I, and, and there's still a chance you don't know what it's about. And it's, I hate to be a podcaster sitting here talking about a movie being like, don't learn anything about it before you go in. But there's like four movies packed into this movie, and each one of them is thrilling and zany and sometimes provocative. You all leave a little smarter. Yeah. Um, I will say Young Adult. Oh, sure. By our good friend uh, Diablo Cody. I fucking love that movie, and I, I keep coming back to it every year. What's your favorite thing about that character? If you guys don't know Young Adult, and I assume you do, Charlize Theron plays a young adult author who goes back to her hometown and sort of fancies herself a celebrity, but is actually a known mess mm-hmm. who is trying to reel back in her high school boyfriend, played by Patrick Wilson, who is snack.tumblr.com, as you know. I... Love a little different moments about it every time. I think what I really love last time I watched it, which was like two weeks ago, she just prints out the birth announcement and it's just like obsessively staring at it. Yeah. <laughs> and then she gets out of bed with her a cup and just packs her suitcase and leaves. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. She's completely just entranced by this situation yeah. and goes. I love it. Um, she, she's so amazing in it. Um, by the way, have you seen Bombshell yet? Yes. I, that Charlize in Bombshell, I don't know that it's an amazing performance. She plays Megan Kelly, of course, in this you, movie. You can t- you can take the word "shell" from the title. Yeah, 
Wow, I Siskel did, and Ebert jumped out. I did not like Bombshell. But also I just think it, it works over time to paint these women as heroes when I think that anyone who works for Fox News is soulless. No, I know. It's a, such a dubious situation. And you feel icky in a way watching this narrative. But obviously you've seen the trailer where Charlize Theron is wearing the prosthetics that make her look like Megyn Kelly. Here's my question. Was that necessary? No. I mean, just, I'm not, I kept just like looking at like these l- small little tectonic plates in her face and wondering <laughs> if they were going to keep shifting. But she does vocally tap into something about Megyn Kelly, like the way, the business-like way she speaks. But at the same time, it's almost like that impression ends up stifling her and it ends up sounding flat. And when I think of flat dramatic performances, I think of Get Ready, Jessica Chastain. And I feel like it's kind of a Jessica Chastain performance. Yeah. The Alban Dovar film that is on my list is not Pain and Glory, oh. even though I love that film so much. Um, and it's one of his best. I would say it's The Skin I Live In. People fucking love that movie and I've never seen it. It's amazing. You got to see it. Antonio Banderas is insane in that film. Uh, it is... He is one of those people that contains multitudes, and we don't talk about that. We just think of him as still uh, The Mask of Zorro, which is a two-and-a-half-star movie from 1998. Yeah, um, and Elena Anaya uh, is is a fantastic in the film, too. It's it's just I don't want to ruin that movie either. It's almost like Parasite and that like what you think it about isn't what it's about, and then it, it truly just becomes bonkers. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost Protocol, Mission Impossible. You do enjoy a Tom situation. I do, I do, and I think it's my favorite of the franchise. <sighs> I'm thinking about that. It is so crazy how good the movies are now as opposed to then, because I think the first and second one are not good. Mm, I like the first one, yeah. but the second one is very, eh. The second one is yeah, definitely the worst. Yeah, uh, I just think it's, it's really good. I don't we, know. We did not pick much in the way of comedies. Yeah. Uh, It's not that comedic a decade. Yeah. I mean, I I was close to putting um, Spy or 21 Jump Street onto my list. Yeah. Yeah. Spy Uh, would definitely be in my top five funny movies. uh, Though, let me tell you something. There's now that I saw previews for the new Rose Byrne movie in which she's doing something kind of similar. What's that movie called? Like a Boss? mm Mm-hmm. Woof. It's weird to see- uh, Tiffany Haddish. Yeah. Tiffany Haddish, who is slightly becoming the queen of January releases. (laughs) God love the woman. Oops. Uh- a romance film that is on my list is by uh, Gina Prince by the Wood, Beyond the Lights. Oh, sure. I love that movie. Tell me about that I movie. I love that movie. It is Gugu Mbatha-Ra plays a pop star, basically, and uh, Minnie Driver's her mom. Wow, I'm, I'm there. Yeah, and uh, she sort of like hates her life. I'm speechless, if you will. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, Nate Parker's in the film, um, but he's great in it, uh, and it's before we all knew that he was raping people. Um, she hates her life and tries to jump off a balcony and kill herself in the beginning of the film and he saves her uh, and then it becomes sort of almost like a bodyguard-ish film where he becomes intertwined in her life and she has to fix what's wrong with her life and it's just it's a beautiful romantic film that I love Gugum Bathara remember when we stuck her in Miss Sloan and she had to like hold a clipboard for Miss Sloan yeah. guys if you haven't seen Miss Sloan I'm sorry to dog Jessica Chastain so much this podcast what was happening in that movie? <laughs> Somebody needs to apologize. I don't know who it is. Or the morning show. Right. Google and Botha Rob just walking around. I still think of her as being on that show Undercovers, which deserved better. Yeah. With Boris Kojo. <laughs> I love Undercovers. I was tweeting about that recently. Boris Kojo is one of the painfully hot people. Do you remember the commercials that where they kept using the word sexpionage? <laughs> 
I totally forgot that. You just un- unscrewed a 2010 part of my brain. Uh, uh, Nightcrawler. I love Nightcrawler, and I totally forgot to think about it. Yeah, Jake Gyllenhaal did what he had to do. There's a lot of Rene Russo pointing at monitors as a hard-bitten news producer, saying things like, camera two, monitor three. <laughs> which is my favorite type of character. And unfortunately, it feels like that movie is a fluke because Dan Gilroy has yet to make another movie that I like as much as this movie. Velvet Buzzsaw? Velvet fuck no. <laughs> and also, another movie where we're just like, Tony Collette, you're so crazy. Do a crazy character. Guys, she's not that crazy. Like, I didn't like her in that, and I still don't like her in Knives Out. Mm-mm. Wow. What I a, do. What a fruitful conversation about movies we had. Shit. Knives Hive. There's still two more. Oh. Edge of Tomorrow. Totally forgot about that movie. It is really good. Not my brand. Me and Tommy again. Yeah. Tom Cruise. Emily Blunt, we need you to focus on the acidic comedy that you were born to do and stop doing these weird action franchise things. It could have been anybody in Looper, and you spent time on that. (laughs) I need you you to be a a funny asshole again. Yeah. Um, I do love my Tom Cruise movies. Uh, And lastly, Crimson Peak. Uh. Guillermo del Toro. Right, right, right. Uh, wait, no, who's the woman in that? Jessica Chastain. I know, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was going to say, Jessica Chastain redeemed. It is. It's, it's her best work of the decade. Actually, I would agree with that. Remember Zero Dark Thirty? I wonder if that holds up. It doesn't. You, have you seen it recently? <laughs> yeah, it's just on a plane. Oh, yeah. She's sort of walking around in a blazer. She really is a lot of walking around in that movie. <laughs> and then a, a one moment of crying, which is my least favorite type of Oscar nomination. Yeah. Wait, is she a tough woman who then cries? I mean, that's such a familiar Oscar arc. <laughs> and Margot Robbie in Bombshell is looking ahead that way this season. So, yeah. I'm on to her. Uh, we'll be back shortly, and I'll get into it with Lewis and Aida about our favorite music, TV, and books of the decade. And I'm back with Lewis and Aida. Hello, hello. We are... Did you live through this decade, too? <laughs> of course. I wasn't cognizant for most of it. Okay. But like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here. <laughs> well, I hope that you are ready to dive into our favorite music okay. of the decade. 100%. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Aida, why don't you share me some of yours first? Favorite album of literally all time is Overexposed Maroon 5. <laughs> oh, wow. Right? Hold I on, mean, which hits are on that? Um, It's one of those albums where I know every track, but you let it run through beginning to end, so you don't know the name of any single. You know I'm, yeah. I came out as a Maroon 5 stan. Right, right? yeah, uh, a Maroonist. Last, last year on the show, uh, during the Super Bowl. That one has One More Night. Okay, yep. Mm-hmm. Payphone. Payphone. Yep. Daylight. Lucky Strike. Oh my god! You know Unkiss what? Unkiss me. Yeah, such a good album. They have certain songs there that I think rank among the biggest YouTube videos of all time, which yeah. is always so shocking because yeah. I associate that with you know Despacito and Gangnam Style, whatever. But uh-huh. Maroon Five, right up there. Maroon Five. You know, yeah. they, they actually kind of did what they had to do on this Truly. album. Well, I mean, there must be a committee of hundreds who write each of those songs. Like, yes. like there's they're so set up to 
unfail. They always kill it. You yeah. Know? yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know they probably go through like 50 demos before they dwindle it down to like the good 12 tracks. But yeah. that's my weird pop choice. But it, I think my mainstays are Solange, Seat at the Table, mm-hmm. Control, on my list. SZA. That's definitely on my list course, as well. To the, Pimp a Butterfly, mm-hmm. Kendrick Lamar. I'm not uh, that big a Kendrick fan. No, you're not? No. Is that so? Yeah. I, we talked about this before. I appreciate the work and I know that it's good, but it's just personally not for me. I will say yeah. that I, uh, and apologies if I've reiterated this before, his performance of All Right at the BET Awards is my favorite award mm-hmm. show performance of the decade. Mm. Truly, something you watched and you were like, why is this the loudest thing I've ever heard? Terrified my mother. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. It was really bracing. I will say that my list includes those. It also has, my favorite of the decade is still Maga Kanye, my beautiful oh my dark gosh. twisted fantasy. Okay, well fuck it up. That's still a good album. You know, you know that that album is is still flawless to me. Yeah. Like Devil in a New Dress, mm-hmm. maybe my favorite song of the decade. Yeah, yeah, him and Rick Ross. I am disappointed with myself because at one point in my life I was so album oriented, and in a way I still am because I listen to those old albums a lot. But in the 2010s, Just you know, this cracking thing up happened. in the vinyls. I, yeah. Oh yeah, please <laughs> blowing the dust off it. <laughs> Going through my catalog, yes. Um, and just, I, I lost the fervor for collecting music that way, or I just got swept up in the Apple Music spotify of everything. Yeah. And so now, the only album that really joins me with the Pitchfork community in terms of album celebration is Carly Rae Jepsen, Emotion. I still oh. listen to that 100,000 times. No, that's a good choice, Great though. fucking and album. And I love the album before that, too, as I've always said. Mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. uh, Curiosity, Amazing. Yeah, on my list, on my list. Yeah, uh, and I would say that album, Dark, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, gave us Nikki. With Monster. That's, that's yeah. my favorite of her features ever. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably one of the... She killed every other person on that track. It, it's sad that not, Nikki is such a big part of the decade for me, but unfortunately, yeah. there's not really a singular album. Yeah. I know. Yeah, you know, I mean... She's I a think, single queen. Yeah. Um, Taylor Swift was echoing Beyonce recently um, when she was talking about, you know, the mass-producing singles and getting yeah. back to albums. And, you know, if we went back to Beyonce's Life is Beautiful documentary she was mentioning that she was like you know no one's in the singles anymore no mm-hmm. one's in the albums anymore you know they want singles and you know i think that's what gave us beyonce and lemonade which are Is both that on your list which are both on my list yeah uh, i think the definitive musical moment of the decade is the surprise drop of beyonce's self-titled album yeah. oh, because yeah. it just changed the way in which people were excited about music. You didn't know it was coming. Was you had to drop everything. Watching yeah. Scandal. No promo. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Our whole world shook. Yes. Yeah. And that of interrupted course- my live tweeting of the scandal finale <laughs> with You're- the digital drop. I love that every that's a lyric, isn't it? What's yeah, the lyric? Change the game with that digital drop. You know where you were with that digital, digital drop. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know where I was at. I'd, oh yes, I do. I was with my high school boyfriend, and we stopped everything to go listen to it. Mm. And then you, of course, there was the visual album. You were overwhelmed with. Yes. Too. It was. It was truly a new way to be overwhelmed by um, music. Truly. Uh, and then from that, and then it, it was so much to grasp immediately. I, like I had to pick hot takes out of thin air, and I was, you know. Haunted is underrated. You know, like I'm yeah. still, mm-hmm. cl- oh, still clinging to Haunted is a beautiful tree. Love yes. that video. My album in that sphere, Channel Orange, is on my list as well as Anti. Okay, Anti. I mean, a really I mean, really just like cemented Rihanna as an icon. I James feel like. Joint. That track, James Joint, is mm-hmm. one of the best songs I've ever heard. Like she's singing to. She, she. I think she made that album deliberately. Like, I'm not making the stuff that you guys want me to make. I'm gonna mm. make whatever feels good for me. It's crazy the 
how much she's progressed in a decade. I mean, in 2010, she would have had Only Girl in the World out. Mm-hmm. And think about yeah. how her music has changed since then, you know? Well, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, yeah, that's right. She's vapors. <laughs> I, I know by the time this episode comes out, that bitch ain't released shit. No. <laughs> Nothing will change. Lies. <laughs> Lies. Uh, Vilas also has Lana Del Rey, Born to Die. Talk about a definitive 2010s personality. Because she, yeah. to me, was the first domino dropping from music sounding like TikTok by Kesha mm-hmm. to it sounding like Billie Eilish. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, getting into that real murmury, ambient, but also dreamlike and kind of intellectual place. And she just really just sort of started the decade as a joke. Yes, yeah. right. And really unforgettable just sort of SNL performance came from that. Yeah, right. Uh, and you you have to respect it. Uh, other pop is Body Talk by Robin, 1989 Taylor. It's so crazy that Body wait, Talk wait, is wait. this decade. Is Jesus. Call Your Girlfriend on that yeah, one? Yeah. yeah. That's one of the best songs ever. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, 1989, I am one of the people who still thinks that 1989 is better than Red. I know, I, I feel the same way. Yeah. And talk about another, uh, again, that was one of the few albums where it seemed like you had no choice but to pay attention because it was both. A, a definitive and really snatched collection of songs for her, and also just the perfect state of the art that year, that month, that day production. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. just it was exactly of that moment. Yeah, uh, definitely Vampire Weekend's Modern Vampires of the City. Okay. Uh, and lastly, uh, I mean, Drake dominated this decade, right? Yeah, we Take can't care was per- that. Take Care was perfect. Take care of did what it practice. had to do. Do you know the yeah. song Practice? Yes, of course. I love that song. Practice. He did that when the when the kids booed him. Uh, <laughs> and that was fu- the song he was doing when they booed him? I mean, he did one of them. Oh, yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah, they didn't know those The songs. deep cuts that Tyler likes. Yeah. Is uh, what he did. And, I mean, Hamilton cast recording. Oh, my okay. God. I mean, what are your Hamilton sheer talent? Yeah, I per- well, first of all, I've only heard the music. I've never seen the musical, mm-hmm. and I love the music. So I'm really worried to watch the musical and be like, "How does it all string together?" Yeah. I feel like I'm not gonna like it. But I love the. I'm just. Scared. I saw it at the public. Mm, how was that? Just did a hair flip of my not existent hair. <laughs> <laughs> the world felt it. I uh, through happenstance, I ended up seeing it like in the fourth row, uh, and. I will never forget look, looking at Renee Elise Goldsberry doing Satisfied, which is my favorite song from the soundtrack. Satisfied Please, is Please, complaining perfect. that you're the oldest yeah. and the wittiest in a family. Please. <laughs> Join me on my level, Renee Elise. <laughs> um, uh, but just the, uh, you know, if you know that song, it's a lot, a lot, a lot of lyrics. And the she's gossip like, in New York is insidious. Yes. And, and she's like flipping through it at auctioneer speed yeah. to watch her like heaving through those lyrics and sort of delirious with when the stage rage. spins yes back oh. yes the rewind, the rewind. yeah uh, amazing yeah uh i also fucking i'm not a crier excuse me when she was done it was like it was like she pulled a string in me and i fell forward and cried i've I will never experienced anything like that again i think that throughout the decade hamilton obviously has become just sort of um ubiquitous and you know lin-manuel miranda you know whether you love him or not like he's really become sort of a personality now Mm -hmm. he's just sort of everywhere and uh you have to respect him i think yeah i i do respect him uh and i think that we've gotten away from just how powerful that initial gut punch of hamilton was right you know it's it's become so seeped in the culture and expensive tickets and everyone Mm -hmm. sort of memeing it online and lin-manuel tweeting you to have a beautiful day that like (laughs) you've forgotten how powerful it was and how good he is at what he does and i was reminded of it when i saw the in the heights trailer and i was which looks so fantastic and i was like that Mm -hmm. is 
an artist who creates. No, I know. I mean, I, I mean, he seems like a wonderful person, but you also think of him as like the Walmart smiley face, like yes. coming through, like, like yeah, 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 yeah. Store and knocking down all the prices. There's you know? a blue light special. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. I, I think also the second most definitive song for me in terms of Broadway this decade has got to be Waving Through a Window by mm, Bounce. Yes, yes, yes. That song, I mean, it's just... you. You hear it the first time, I feel like you have to play it seven more times. That's exactly such a the throb feeling. and pop to that song. And yeah. such a brilliant vocal performance. I wish it had been a bigger sort of pop hit because yeah. it mm-hmm. reminded me of when Broadway and pop used to inform each other much more. That's right, true. yeah. Lucas Hedges, get in that movie. Yes. <laughs> mm. Let's swing things back around to television and what we were really enjoying this year. I'm going to go ahead and say Watchmen is not on my list. Yeah, it's had one season. Right, and it may not even have a second yeah. season, and I, I'm not counting that as television. Uh, it was a fantastic journey. It was amazing, but I, you know, I need. It feels like a limited series to me. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. Also, I mean, just the very presence of Gene Smart is just. I mean, it, it, if if there was ever Lewis Catnip, it would be Gene Smart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm behind. I haven't seen it yet. So you haven't seen anything, Lewis. I'm. I have to tell you. TV, as more people accelerated into watching every single show, I really yeah. shied away and stuck to my guns with movies. I mm-hmm. really, I, I don't know. It's I, I like that things are finite. I like that you can't really be behind on a movie. You know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have a list of my faves, um, but I want to know what you enjoyed this year, Lewis, that you would put on yours then. In my in end decade. of decade, yes. Yeah. I think still my favorite... Uh, show of the decade and obviously didn't start this decade is 30, 30 Rock. Rock. Yeah. yeah. Just again. I was wavering whether or not it's on my list. And you know what? The latter half of the series is fucking hilarious. And, and talk about, I mean, every season it seemed like they were just, to use that word again, accelerating. Like the jokes got faster. Jenna became crazier. Tracy became crazier. Liz became somehow more relatable and more yeah. wild and she was having more sex. But as my friend Elise at home always says, she goes, I don't know if that's the best show of all time, but it is the best jokes of all time. Yes. You know, and absolutely. I, and I love shows that are delivery systems for jokes. We have Happy Endings, which is another one. I love Difficult People this decade. Mm-hmm. Happy Endings is on my list. It is maybe one of my favorite sitcoms ever. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and I, I miss it. Yeah. I love a show where at the end of every episode, I feel compelled to rank the whole cast. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, like, well, you were in fifth today, Damon Wayans. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, power rankings. I feel. That it was missing from a lot of people's best of decades list. Yeah, right. Yeah. That's a while uh, ago now. Yeah. I, and I will throw in, of course, Mad Men. I mean, just... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, everyone will tell you it's a moving painting of a TV yeah. show, but just... I love how characters you didn't think about at all would suddenly move into frame and ha- be just coruscating with humanity. And devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it started last decade, but season four began this decade, and The Suitcase, one of the best episodes of television ever aired this decade. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Moss, one of the craveably dependable dramatic actresses. <laughs> Definitive mm. 2010 mm. What about you, Aida? I feel like maybe this isn't fair because this is the latter. You know what? I don't care. This goes to Phoebe Waller-Bridge for oh, two mm-hmm. shows that I think were the best shows I've ever seen. Fleabagging. And Killing Eve, yes. Yes, yes. 100%. Well, she did only do season one. She did only season one? Yeah. Well, I was going to say I liked season one better than season two. Mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. not going to lie. I really did. I think it, the storyline between Villanelle and Sandra O's oh's character gets a little drug out, but her Eve, of course. But um, yeah, love Fleabag. Love that someone was willing to take on grief and trauma in such a cynical way. I'd, I don't think I'd ever seen that in a TV show with a woman portrayed as the first character. Mm-hmm. That Loved TV it. show to me is uh, my favorite album of all time is Exile and Gaiva by Liz Fair. And uh, yeah. Phoebe Waller-Bridge reminds me of Liz Fair in that the lines are simultaneously 
cynical, super funny, dark, telling about her at once. Just like every single line, you learn something real about her. I just love people who almost seemingly without trying, obviously there's a lot of effort, you yeah. are constantly being united with a believable full adult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, and also if I'm for animation, I'm a big animation freak, I would say Bojack Horseman. Mm-hmm. Love Bojack Horseman, Rick and Morty. Yeah, Bojack, a yeah. a cute little show. That's oh oh wait, <laughs> now it's devastating. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, I cried. <laughs> I cried multiple times watching Bojack. I've Horseman. been watching Bojack now, obviously because I'm writing on an animated show, yeah. um, and I'm loving it. But I I do, I've never always loved those comedies that then veer into wanting to depress you. It's where mm-hmm. I had to bail on You're the Worst this decade. Uh-huh. Yeah. It was just like, oh, this was a fun show about people in LA, and now it's about battling mental health. And <laughs> I already have enough of that. I do yeah. that in real life. Yes, so. yes. Uh, I, I will say that one of my favorite shows of ever uh, is Halt and Catch Fire. Uh, that was that's on coming a- up on a lot of critics' lists, and I, I regret uh, not seeing it. My good friend Karen Tonkson from the Pop Rocket podcast, RIP, is very obsessed with that. Yes, it was initially sort of a Mad Men knockoff. It was um, starring Lee Pace, my favorite B-list actor, um, <laughs> as sort of like this Steve Jobs guy and the people around him, and then it morphed into being a series about the women surrounding him. Um, and it is a beautiful show. Yeah, what a beautiful maneuver. You think they planned that ahead of time? Uh, the no, they've, ta- they've talked about how they found the show. Okay. Yeah, um, and it really sort of... Um, Trivia about Lee Pace, by the way. He is hot. <laughs> yes, and gay. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. That's my Snapple cap for you. <laughs> uh, but no, once the show started focusing on Cameron and Donna, it was really just another show all together and yeah. it, it's it's beautiful television and it's only four seasons oh by the way my favorite show that grapples with mental health of the decade lady dynamite anybody lady dynamite was great yeah. with maria bamford uh, again talk about uh yeah. couldn't make her up personality gone too soon yes with uh i love her parents in the show mary Kay place and mm-hmm. ed begley jr go and rewatch that it's still in all of the supermen that appeared in it the actors who played superman oh, yeah, uh-huh. yeah mm-hmm. it was a beautiful joke. There's an episode with a raccoon, and it's my friend's raccoon. Mm. Really? Yes. Your friend has a raccoon? A raccoon farm. That was the first episode of the second season, I believe. There you go. Yeah. Okay. I know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, you know, I would say Enlightened. Oh, duh. Enlightened. It's really like you say a show like that, I'm like, I must be forgetting yeah. 50 shows. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Laura Dern is so fucking visceral in that Yeah, she's show. such a pointed actress, yes. Yeah. yeah. When you talk about how, oh, she's caricature and, like, plays, like, whatever and broadly. I, I just, like, you haven't seen it. Like, like the, the broad works because it's human. Yeah. Humans also, can be broad. I mean, like, we've seen Laura Dern work for now three and a half decades or something. Mm-hmm. And just, she has such range. You're right. She's getting sort of, we, we remember her now, thanks to Big Little Eyes and now Marriage Story. And a little bit enlightened. The, the, the gifts from Enlightened, we think of her as, you know, uh, a, a cartoonishly angry and demanding, mm-hmm. uh, let me speak to the manager type person. But there's a show about mental health. You know, the very real scenes where she's exploring her psyche and enlightened are some of the most um, revealing TV I've seen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tony Collette, United States of Terra. United States of Terra. Yeah. That's a beautiful show. Definitely mm-hmm. a good mention. Uh, Hannibal. 
Oh, Absolutely. yeah. I haven't seen. Hannibal was The fun. loudest stands who have ever existed. <laughs> I mean. I want to rank the loudest stands. I th- well, I think Lucifer, above them. Lucifer, I hear you. Above them are the OA. Yeah. <laughs> the OA. <laughs> Don't work on any show on Netflix <laughs> without an OA stand going in your mentions. <laughs> I will also say Scandal. We talked about it earlier. It's just, it's the show I feel like that invented live tweeting. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. And when it was hot, that ride was like, unlike anything else that we watched on TV. Mm-hmm. Love this. Uh, I didn't watch it comprehensively, but I love in the later latter seasons, scenes between Kerry Washington and Bellamy Young. So mm-hmm. much fun. Yeah. Schitt's Creek. Very funny. Yes. Uh, I, I love that it's just, it's ending the decade with a comedy that's about jokes. Yes, right. <laughs> and jokes also and just, fun characters. And like, it's nice to have a comedy every once in a while that like your whole family can just fall into like a hammock. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, also, something about Dan Levy, who has been on the show and is nice and normal and probably like a wonderful person who doesn't need to hear this. Mm-hmm. I just look at him and think, but we're not dating. That's weird. What's <laughs> happened? <laughs> what happened? Well, he met you. That's oh, okay. Yeah, that's what happened. Shattered. <laughs> uh, the Good Wife. Oh, right. And in turn, The Good Fight. Uh, without that <laughs> season four, without the uh, uh, Kalinda and that crazy guy she was dating. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Tru- truly a mess. Uh, but, I mean, season five of The Good Wife is one of the best things I've ever seen. And hit- Hitting the Fan is my favorite episode of the decade with the suitcase from Mad Men falling right after it. That is just a show that utilized actors that you miss mm-hmm. really well. Mm-hmm. You're just like, God, I haven't seen Martha Plimpton in 10 minutes. Where- mm-hmm. Oh, she's here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Jane Curtin's a judge. Yeah. Um, this is Camila Cabello's best friend, uh, Gina Rodriguez. <laughs> oh my before God. we we realized her true colors, Virgin's uh, Jay the Virgin was such a good show, though. It was. It's it was such so- a good show. It's emotional. It's heartfelt, and it does like twist the soap opera genre yeah. into like something that's human and real. Uh, and I mean, it, it was a perfect TV show. Yeah, it's I'm, done in a way where it's live action, but it feels animated to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it has the speed of an animation, an animation Same, show. Same, I would say, with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is on my yes. list, too, uh, which was f- phenomenal and deserved more recognition from the just like awards community for what it yeah. did. Jane the Virgin really should be your mission statement, because you like bridging soap to reality. Yes, mm-hmm. you know? yes, yes. Um, and all the insanity be- between the two of them. Yes, uh, you know, and also... Niggas do give me heebie-jeebies. Uh, so. <laughs> the facts are facts. Uh, I guess that's everything except for, um, oh, you know, obviously the succession. Okay, yeah, I was waiting. <laughs> I was really waiting. Y'all thought I wasn't going to bring up succession. No. <laughs> Y'all know I'm succession hive. <laughs> also, a best of uh, decade movie performance that I forgot to bring up earlier. Vanessa Redgrave and Coriolanus, which stars uh, Ray Fiennes, uh, directed by him too, I believe. Gerard Bartlett's in it. Um, Vanessa Redgrave, one of the great actors of all time. We can get into her Israel stance some other time. Just watch that performance <laughs> and uh, tweet me about it. I just, yeah. I just want to talk about that performance again. It was so wonderful. Yeah, well, and you, us talking about 30 Rock too reminded me that um, the decade started with Tina Fey releasing Bossy Pants, which yes. was one of my favorite books of the decade. And I think sort of a blueprint for how you do celebrity books yeah Yeah. right Mm -hmm. you know i mean there have been so many after especially even by comedians like amy polar and mindy kaling and i like mindy's a lot more than amy's but like i felt like amy sort of paled in comparison to i would say yeah i would say the same thing yeah Uh, yeah 
Every book by a comedian since then reminds me of Bossy Pants. I always yeah. think mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I feel like they read it beforehand. <laughs> yeah, right. uh, or at Take least notes. their editor and the publisher. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm going to name, I know you don't read Lewis. <laughs> yeah. Not not avidly enough, though I, I think I have maybe a little undiagnosed ADD. I just can't yeah, sit there fair. and do it, unfortunately. I get it. Uh, there were a few things this decade that really popped out for me, and I saw them on my book show, so I would be remiss to not mention them. A Citizen by Claudia Ranking is a fantastic book. It's about race. It's a beautiful essay about Serena Williams in it. I read it on a plane, uh, and I usually fall asleep on a plane from yeah. drinking too much champagne and I couldn't put it down and I felt like I was done in an hour. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead mm-hmm. that will soon be a limited television series from Barry Jenkins. That seems mm-hmm. like the right way to handle that material. Yeah. I, you, you would think immediately whenever a book comes out, oh, um, a movie. But Yeah. 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 Uh, White Girls by Hilton Owls. Uh, he is a culture critic for The New Yorker. We've talked about him before. Uh, and that's a very good book. And uh, speaking of The New Yorker, Gia Tolentino. That book oh, yeah. fucking Trick rules. Mirror. Yeah. Yeah. The, that, that's a book where you read a sentence and you're like, hold on. Let me make sure I understood everything that was just said in that sentence. Okay, great. Moving on. Takes a long time for me to read like that, but mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, a former coworker of mine, Hanif Adiraquib. Um, they Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us is a fantastic music culture book, and it has an essay about Fall Out Boy that made me cry. Yes, and also, he's the reason why I listened to Carly Rae Jepsen. I'd never listened to Carly Rae until I read that article, and read that essay in that book, and I was like, okay, let me go back, because if Hanif likes it, I probably like it. And then yeah, I oh, you read that love, book. Love that book. That book is so fucking great. It's wonderful. Yeah, and it's he's, cool. an am- he's such an amazing writer. I mean, yeah. like... The, the evocativeness of his mm-hmm. words. And especially, you know, that angle of being the only black kid at a Fall Out Boy concert. Like, right. it's such an important yeah. thing that I'd never read, being who I am, and it mm-hmm. really did change my life. Yeah. Uh, you guys should have seen the tingle that just ran through I, I wrote. You look like, like <laughs> Luth- Luther Vandross going through it or something. <laughs> the closer Aida gets to me. <laughs> Was there anything that you read this year that, like, you a really book? feel popped? There was a book I read that was fabulous. Uh, in fact, you bought it for me. Hunger by Roxane Gay. Mm. Oh, okay, yes. I find her writing so unembellished, and that is just not how I write. So when yeah. I hear someone do that really well, I'm jealous because I don't have that skill. Ro- I want to throw adverbs in everything. Roxane Gay is from Nebraska. Oh, really? She went mm-hmm. to UNL, and she came back and talked to our school and signed my little books, My Bad Feminist, My Hunger. <laughs> I was so happy about it. Yeah. Uh, someone else I worked with, um, Saeed Jones's How We Fight for Our Lives. Okay. Um, that was a fantastic book, um, and I would recommend it to anyone who wants to read work by a black queer writer. Uh, and finally, I guess, um, like, Negro Land was a book I've mentioned before on here mm-hmm. by Margot Jefferson. It's about sort of like the Jack and Jill culture in the Midwest. Yeah. Uh, you know, light skins versus dark skins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a very interesting book. Let me throw in, um, I read a lot of books of poetry that I really enjoy. And mm-hmm. I mean, Hanif is a poet in a way, but as an essayist also. Morgan Parker's There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce is mm-hmm. a beautiful book of poetry. Yes, yes. Wonderful, wonderful. Love Morgan Parker so much. And I'm yeah. trying to expand into novels as well. So mm-hmm. I might need to write down everything. Thing you and I would say. <laughs> um, a lot of gays really loved A Little Life. Uh, mm. It inspired a lot of things in me, love and anger, so I guess I'd be remiss 
yeah. to mention it. Not to mention it. Um, and finally, it took me forever all year, but I finally finished A Brief History of Seven Killings by Marlon James. And he's just oh, wow. a fucking amazing writer. I'm frankly impressed by you, Ira. You also look Yeah, at, where do you make the time? Do you ever bro? just think like... about Ira can read all that shit, and truly he watches three times the television I, I know. <laughs> How much shit do I watch, right? Like, I've convinced you guys I know certain things, right? Like, it's really staggering. Yeah. So congrats to you for being you. And you Unless make things. There's... How do you consume and produce all of this at the same time? Right, yeah. So anyway. Well, the Thanks. thing piece will be coming yeah. soon. Yeah. The expose. Favorite artist of the decade is Ira. Uh, uh, it's, it's called Crystal Meth. <laughs> Get with it. You've heard of chem sex? I do chem reading. <laughs> chem sex, what a crazy term. Coming up, our conversation with Shani Nicholas. Aida and I are back with Shani Nicholas. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yes. so happy to have you. I have not seen you since my birthday. Oh, my God. In your lovely grease look. <laughs> <laughs> I tried my very best. <laughs> Fran uh, definitely added me. Yes, Fran Tirado was yeah. definitely a highlight yes. of, of the look. He, he had a whole, like, uh, Pink lady slash greaser look slash Riverdale. It was chic. There have yeah. got to be photos somewhere. There are photos. Yeah. Okay. I'll okay. show you photos. I need to see. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm excited to have you here. I'm so excited uh, to be here. Because first of all, I'm already subscribed to your astrology newsletter. Oh my God. Yes, I get it all the time. And also you have a new book coming out. You were born for this. I astrology do. for Radical Self-Acceptance. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just wanted to have you here so you could talk to... Aida and I, because we love astrology. Thank you. I I wanted to harass Lewis. Yes, you know. (laughs) He couldn't make it. Somehow he had to leave early. I don't know. I'm not taking it personally, but it's fine. Uh, But you know what? I'm going to have you tell us what you think about Lewis, too. Yeah, read his chart. From his sign. Okay, from his chart. I want to know. I want to know the T. We'll throw all the shade. Yes, like, we'll were we ever compatible as hosts? Yes. <laughs> were we ever? ever. Uh, but we'll get into that in a bit. Um, before we even get to that, before you talk about my chart, Aida's charts, um, let's just talk about it in general. You yeah, know, let's like, do it. how is astrology such an important part of culture right now? How? Mm-hmm. How? I mean, I think one of the original conversations we had was because Lewis was like, oh my God, I can't with the astrology mm-hmm. on Twitter. And I was like, totally me too. Let's have a conversation about it. Um, astrology is just one of those things that's incredibly memeable. Mm-hmm. It's it talk, You're talking about archetypes. And so you're talking about personalities and everyone wants to hear about themselves and talk about themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. And so it's this become these like little 12 repositories for every horrible characteristic of your ex or your dad, or you, whoever, and you can like blame, everyone's now just blaming everything on <laughs> a sign. Yeah. And astrology is much deeper than that, obviously. And it's actually, you know, signs are places in the sky, but it's really about the planets and what the planets are doing. So, you know, astrology is having this moment because uh, of social media. I think like a lot of things are having a moment because of social media. There's also like the, you know, the media also loves it, so. Yeah, like there's it's like this feedback loop. It's good for us. It's good for astrologers, but it's also 
a little ridiculous. Yeah, I find it really interesting because when I'm on social media, I will see all the memes and the Instagram accounts that are like, if you're a Taurus, you're a bitch. If you're this, you're that. I'm like, this goes so much, it goes beyond like these obligatory things about a person and more so like, of course, you're going to tell us about it. What's going on for you right now? And the current There's also that. things yeah. like that. Yeah, so that. it's very interesting to read up about, but I will say I'm coming from a place of I'm just now learning about astrology. Okay, so I'm cool. bare minimum knowledge, but I'm on board. Yeah, yeah. And it's also so much more than about personality. It's yeah. really about like the shape of somebody's life. Mm-hmm. And so the book that I wrote was really about like there's there's an imprint of your life purpose in your chart. And it's not just about your psychological, like the meanings, the psychological meanings of the signs. It's really about how the sky was shaped the moment you were born and what it says about what you're what you're here to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. More than just annoy your coworkers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not you. Oh, you'd Lewis. be surprised. <laughs> but yeah. He's yeah. not here, so we can't, you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> so who have been your influences in your work and your writing? You know, like how can people follow a path of astrology mm. um, further back, you know? Like, mm. how, how can we research it? How can we study it? Mm. Well, we're really uh, lucky now because we have, in the Western tradition, we've had, like, uh, a resurgence and a reconnection to our, like, ancient past, which was disconnected for a really long time. So there was astrology for, like, a thousand years or so, like, in the iteration that it's in now, and then it went underground because of things like Christianity and, like, heretics and <laughs> witch hunts and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Didn't want to and, get burnt. You know, <laughs> and so like things go underground and then they pop up. And so th- we've had like this resurfacing of all this ancient material and you can get it online. I mean, you can like download a book. So it's cumbersome and it's boring and it's stale and it's like in ancient types. It's like translated from ancient Greek or mm. Latin or what have you. So it's it's like not super fun to read. But if you want to read the ancient stuff, you can just do it now. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was, you know, studying, there was, that was impossible. Mm-hmm. What I would say is very interesting is I know there are probably a lot of Keep It listeners too right now who are like, y'all talking about astrology? What's the tea? <laughs> uh, but I would say that a lot of people steeped within culture and the writing that we love and, you know, make the things that we consume yeah. um, take part in this. I'm friends with Terrell Alvin McCraney, Mm -hmm. um, writer behind Moonlight, um, the amazing TV series David Makes Man, um, uh, brilliant playwright. Uh, He looks at the charts um, of all of the characters that he creates for his shows, for his work. Oh my God. um, And that's what helps guide him through telling stories. How does he find the chart? This that the, the moment the character came to him. Yeah, you know, he ta- <gasps> he talks about the moment the character came to him. Talks about how he feels if this character is a Leo, if this character is a Taurus, if this, you know. Oh my goodness, I need to talk to him. That's yeah. beautiful. Yeah, definitely. Wow. An extra layer of thought. Yeah, and there's there's a chart for everything. Like there's mm-hmm. a chart for our moment of meeting. There's a chart for the podcast. You know, there's any time anything has a conception, there's a chart to it. So I love that. That's really fascinating. Yeah, that is really fascinating. What I've noticed, I think, with astrology in general is that I have only, like most white people that I know aren't very interested in it in a deep way, like a deep Mm. visceral way. I find that like it's always queer people or Mm -hmm. it's always people of color or people Mm -hmm. who are coming from some trauma. And as someone who didn't understand what astrology really was at first, I was like, I get it. We're just trying to find meaning and we're just making stuff up. But as I got deeper into reading about astrology, I was like, I have to start giving more credence to this because it's not just a way, Not it is a way to heal, but also a way to understand my trauma a lot better than Mm -hmm. I was before. 
it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it, like any healing practice. It yeah. can give us context. And if we have some context, we can locate ourselves in a different way and then have have a relationship because context also can give perspective. Yeah. I think we need that in order to heal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a main reason why it's so resonant in queer communities. You know, yes. I mean, the, the, my way back into astrology has been through queer writers and mm-hmm. artists that I know. Um, we mm-hmm. enjoy talking about it, you know, yeah. whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Instagram, sharing yeah. memes with one another. Yeah. Um, so I think if, so many of us are just finding a meaning in this. You know, yeah. it must have some weight and importance. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, th- you know, astrology is related to religion. It's not a religion, but astrology is the study of the sky and the movement of the planets, but also the movement of the sun and the moon. And if you look in most major religions, like most religious festivals happen around the solstice or the equinox because we're deeply rooted in earth cycles Mm -hmm. and in in our relationship with nature. And, you know, Jews celebrate the new moon. A lot of Buddhist and Hindu holidays fall around the new and full moon. And if you look and see like we're like if we go back into the roots before even these world religions, we were focused on the sun and moon and their cycles because we needed to be. We needed to. We were reliant on the earth and the yeah. sun and all that stuff. And so astro- it's baked into astrology. So the root systems of our major religions, science, medicine, all of these things are also intertwined with astrology. So it's like it's in our the fabric of our culture in a lot of ways. And I think we yearn for that meaning. And I think we yearn for that context, both personally and also societally. And then I think like a lot of us grew up in systems where like religious systems or spiritual ideologies that don't have room for folks if they're queer. And so Mm -hmm. I think astrology kind of is a bit of a bridge between that. Yeah. um, Talking then about charts, what is the idea of a chart anyway? Great mm-hmm. question. Mm-hmm. It's the snapshot of the sky, the moment you took your first breath at the very location within which you were born. So from that hospital bed or from that bed, we look at the sky and we say like, oh, that is the exact degree that's rising up over the eastern horizon the moment you take your first breath and you're like, I'm living here on my own. And that is your rising sign. Okay. And so that is the most personal part of your chart because it changes so quickly. You know, the sky moves around pretty. And the sun is in the same sign for like 30 days. So the sign of your sun is not even as like particular as your rising sign. And the moon also moves really quickly. So that one's also like the moon tells you a lot about your own personal makeup. So it's the snapshot of the sky, and then you're looking to see, like, how the planets are talking to each other, what they're saying, and the planets will be dictating, like, oh, this person should probably go into this avenue of life and and express themselves in this kind of way. Interesting. Yeah. So, so far from keeping track, there's a rising, there's a moon, and there's a sun. Are there other aspects to the chart? Yeah, then there's all the other planets and how it's really important to see, like, what's coming up over the eastern horizon because that is literally the rising sign. It's the rising of life. It's where the sun rises and all the Mm -hmm. stars rise. So there's this, like, feeling of lifting up and of life. And so anything in the first house or in the same sign as your rising sign is really important because it marks who you are and your motivation for living and, like, how you express yourself. And then, uh, and then it's like how all the other planets are talking to each other. But you really want to see like what's happening with your sun, your moon, your rising sign in your first house, and then the planet that rules that sign. Okay. So each planet rules a sign, and there's all these different houses. There's 12 different houses. There's 12 different signs. There's seven classical planets, and then there's a couple, three more 
modern ones and some asteroids and all the other things. Mm. Well, I belong to the house of Wintour. Lewis <laughs> <laughs> is the house of Atreus. There's a lot of bloodshed <laughs> and um, Electra and Oedipus shit going on. Uh, <laughs> um, why don't we start talking about charts then? Yeah, let's start. Okay. I'm very Aida? eager. I'm very excited. So do you know much about your chart? Um, I know that I am a cancer. Mm-hmm. I was born in July. Mm-hmm. And that's all I have for you. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. So when I look at the chart first, I look at the rising sign. Okay. And so your rising... Do we have your exact time of birth? Do you know? Uh, is there a way that it could be like an hour different? Um, definitely not an hour different. Okay, cool. It's been a couple minutes. Okay, cool. Um, so we've got... Taurus rising? Yes. You, you know that. <laughs> yeah. You, do you resonate with that? Um, I had to be reminded of what I was. But okay, yeah. I do resonate with that because people have told me Taurus is an earth sign. Uh-huh. And even though I guess my cancer makes me sensitive, the Taurus kind of like balances me out, I guess. Yeah. The so grounded, the, I don't know. The rising sign is like the, is the, is your motivation for living and it's also the impression you make upon the world. Oh. And Taurus is here to be like, look. I'm steady, I'm sturdy, I'm reliable, I'm going to get this thing done, I'm not going to veer off course, I'm just going to be stubborn, but also quite pleasant in my way of going about something, but I'm not going to be veered off. Okay. Whereas your cancer sun is much more like intuitive, it's sensitive, it's softer, it's going to be more held in, so you're going to be more, um, pr- like cancer is more prone to wanting to know where safety is. but. And Taurus loves that because Taurus is like, I would like all the nice things. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's, definitely. Very, it's very sensual and it's, it's uh-huh. ruled by Venus. So when I look at your rising sign, it, that's the only thing I see. So I'm like, okay, well, this is the, there's, it's like a practicality about it. It's like, well, how do we get things done? And let's move through the world in a certain way that's like not super fussy. Let's just get the thing yeah. done and also be a place of generativity. And um, probably you're somebody who people are like, oh. I like you. I, I would easy say to that. Be with. Yeah, <laughs> I would say that. Maybe. It's a very, it's an easygoing vibe up front. Um, but your your Venus is actually in the so the planet that rules that is the planet that steers the direction of your life. Okay. And that planet is Venus. So Venus is the goddess of love and beauty oh. <laughs> and connection. Cool. Um, and so it's a lot about so that your life is steered by the planet of relationships, and it's in the fourth house of home and family. So there's something really uh, important about your connection to your roots, ancestry, home, family, foundation. And there's probably like layers of stories there that you might you may or may not want to get into on, on air. <laughs> but um, whatever happens there is so like I want you to have like a really good home base and I feel like it's like a solid place to come from and that you can be somebody who's like unfolding in that place. Does okay. that make sense? Like no, there's definitely. Got to be a root grounded. I want you to have that sense of security and feel like you can flourish there and like that's where you're a queen. Good. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. The, that Does whenever it? whenever my home environment is unstable, I'm good. I'm it's entirely awful for unstable. You. Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's key to your life. And then is there anything about your life where you do like research into like the histories of things? Or? Yeah, my family is Ethiopian and Eritrean. Yeah. And as I've been going back ancestrally and yeah. all the culture about it, it's such a rich and deep history that yeah. actually has like the origins of human race stuff. So it's terrifying. It's terrifying the things that I've been learning about my family and my bloodlines and things like that. And like we have so much information that has just been kept 
within our own generation and community. So I have a lot of knowledge from like the past like 300, 400 years about great, 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 great grandmas. And wow. Yeah, they've done a really good job of just keeping the memorizing stories and passing them on. Wow. So if you ever did something with that, that it's like it could be a part of your life's purpose to actually do something about those histories or those lineages. Yeah. Like bring them forward in some way. Noted. Okay, noted. Or if you like wrote a movie script that was like informed by all of that or like was about the roots or traditions of some family like origin stories are like really I would think important for you because it's in Leo so there's something like dramatic that also wants to be done about it. (laughs) definitely. It's a whole orchestration. Definitely. So that is because Venus is what dictates. Yeah, Venus is like I'm driving the ship of her life Okay, and we, I want to go home. Like Mm -hmm. I want to go to the roots. I want to go to the base. So, and it's in Leo so it's really like dramatic and like beautiful and like, you know, it's got all the flavor and all the style but it is about that place in your in your life and also you building your own home will be a whole thing for you it would be really cool. important or it is it is, it is especially now yeah yeah it's like that has to be there and then all the other stuff can flow and then your son and your son are both in the third house of communication Oh, okay. mine as well. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay, which kind of makes some sense. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, we chat. Yeah. So that means yeah. <laughs> so that means your life purpose is to convey the message, to give it out, to write it, to speak it, to deliver it, to study, to do yeah. things that are about information and also like sisters and uh, brothers and siblings and cousins and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Again, there's like a family vibe there, but um, it's really about you shining in the place of communication. Okay. Mm. Okay, Sir Ira. So you've had a reading before, right? Yes, yes. Okay. I mean, obviously you're Gemini rising. Yes. (laughs) 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 Your face. Shawnee's face. Shawnee's cackling right now. (laughs) She's cackling. (laughs) Um, Okay, so rising sign. Yes. What we want to be known for. The impression we want to make upon the world. Mm Mm-hmm. So if I was sitting with your parents when you were born, I would have been like, this little one is going to have some things to say. (laughs) (laughs) So we want to you want to be known for your ability to communicate Mm -hmm. and relay information and look at a lot of different sides and go around a topic and utilize your intellect Mm -hmm. to be known in the world. Like these are my ideas and this is how I'm going to get them across. You do have the now. I'm not sure how potent this is because we don't know exact time of birth, but Mm -hmm. Chiron was rising like on your ascendant when you were born. And so there is a need to tell stories about human suffering or at least go into the genre of of that. Like Chiron is the wounded healer. And so mm-hmm. there's a feeling of needing to be able to explore that wounded condition in humanity and how we might heal, don't heal the ever bleeding wound that always informs us. But does that resonate with you? Yeah. I mean, that's usually what a lot of my writings about. Yeah. 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 And then the planet that rules Gemini is obviously Mercury, Mm. the communicator. Also, the one, you know, Mercury is the most queer planet I think we have. Okay. Mercury is, can be. Okay, (laughs) Mercury can be a day. The word queer has been used. (laughs) Mercury can be a day or night planet. Mm. Mercury can be in the ancient, I don't gender planets, but they did. And so Mercury can be both male and female. Mm -hmm. Mercury is everything. Mercury is mercurial. So it's Mm. changeable, right? So you have the planet that's a trickster. 
Mm-hmm. That's the one that changes. Mercury can get into the upper realms and into the lower realms. Mercury mm-hmm. can get anywhere because of its quick Mercury's wit. doing what she has to do. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're saying. Mercury's knives are out. <laughs> Spin a tail. <laughs> do a couple tricks and Mercury can get where Mercury needs to go. Okay. And your Mercury is, so we've got the planet of communication steering your life direction, and it's sitting in the house of how you make money mm-hmm. and also your greatest resource. Mm-hmm. And so your greatest resource is your mind and your ability to use it and communicate. It's in the sign of cancer. So that's where the two of you meet, okay. mm-hmm. right? So your sun and your, your Mercury. So mm-hmm. there's a good communication happening there. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, cancer's known for being a little moody, mm-hmm. a little sensitive, um, and wanting that uh, ability to get to the feeling and the heart of the matter. Mm-hmm. So would you say that your life is steered by the need to communicate and to connect with people or at least like hit them where <laughs> it's going to connect with them emotionally? Yeah. You know, it's a lot of um, grasping at emotion. I mean, yeah. I remember in grad school uh, at some point someone was like, is every play you write going to be about your father? I was like, all right, well, maybe so. Listen. <laughs> I love it. Um, and that's how you make money. Mm-hmm. And so, and so part, of the, part, part of when I see that, I'm like, oh, well, also how you facilitate m- making a living is a really big and important piece of your life for you. Mm-hmm. So making your first paycheck and like, making sure that you feel secure with the amount of money that you have is also really important, mm-hmm. but that you do that with your intellect and your ability to um, to spin a tail. Mm-hmm. And then we have a glorious sun in Leo. We do. <laughs> so the, the, the strong thing about sun in Leo is that it's in its own sign. So each planet belongs to a sign, and when a planet's in a sign, it like pops because it doesn't have to pretend that it's anything else. It's not wearing clothes that it doesn't like. It's in its glory, and so it rules your. It's like it owning your third house of communication, and so this is how you shine. It's where you shine. It, it's a must. So it's also like the neighborhoods that you grew up in, and the schools you went to, and like all of the different social dynamics that you were a part of and having to, and I'm not saying this was always easy for you because I don't think it was, but always like trying to facilitate how to create that space for yourself and Mm -hmm. how to find the the stage to shine upon for yourself. Um, And then you've got moon and Taurus, Mm -hmm. all the pretty things. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a connection again. You have Taurus rising, Taurus moon. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Taurus, the moon is like how we live our daily life. Mm-hmm. So a Taurus moon needs things to feel good, smell good, look good, be beautiful and luxurious and enjoyable. Um, and it's also really strong. Your moon is exalted there. So you've got two really strong luminaries, which means you're a force to be reckoned with. Uh, but and also the moon in this house system is sitting in the 12th house of behind the scenes work. So it's like there's both a need for you to shine and to put your thoughts out into the world and to be applauded for that. And then there's also a real need for you to be in creative uh, dark rooms and studios and places that are behind the scenes. And that in the behind the scenes place, it's actually where you have almost the most strength. Like there's such an obvious strength in terms of your ability to express yourself. But in the behind the scenes incubators and studios and all the things in secret that like nobody else sees, there's 
there's a real calling for you to be in those places. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like you need both, but you have a lot of natural talent mm-hmm. to kind of lead or or be able to build something in a behind the scenes way. So probably, you know, I would think you've got a million things going on all the time that nobody knows about or not everybody knows about. Mm-hmm. And there's this like this kind of force that's happening behind you. And there's the things you put out, but then there's all the stuff that goes on. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's like a snapshot of both of you. Wow. Just just picking up on the major pieces. Okay. That was is that good? No, that was really good. Yeah. I resonated with like, Cause then And then there's all the other things, but also then there's all the other stuff that's happening to you at this moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So. so how would you recommend if I want to keep up with my, you know, astrological sign Transits and learn about and stuff. it? And, yeah. Um, is this a daily thing? Is this a... Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It's like when you need it, like find an astrologer that you really like and get a reading from them once a year. Mm-hmm. Do you have somebody you go to once a year? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like not yet. Yeah. No. Yeah, I'm up at the house of intuition. Ah. Uh, yeah. 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 I think it's really great to like build. I I go to for a reading once a year with my teacher, Demetra George. Okay. And I know like I know what's happening, but I'd like to hear it from. And then she always sees stuff that I don't see or I forget. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's really great to have that. And something you know, there's a magical law of three, right? So when you and me sit together, there's a third uh, space that's created. And that space is the healing space. It's kind of like the therapeutic space. Mm-hmm. So it's it's good to learn on your own. And then it's also really good to be with an actual astrologer and build a relationship with them. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, thank and you. read the book. Yeah, thank we you. We will. Thank you for being on this journey. <laughs> you were born for this. Tell us one thing about Lewis. <laughs> one thing about Lewis Vertel. Okay, Lewis. <laughs> well, what I noticed right off the bat about Lewis is there was this like, Incre- I mean, like I was, I was like looking for all of the like, how does he know so many random facts about <laughs> yeah. everybody all the time, and I can definitely see that. But what really jumped out in his chart was this like, it's this really kind of funny signature of is he like just is he really lucky? Like, does he have a lot of? Is there like a, an incredible amount of ease for him, or is there like? A distraction of a good time or like is there a lot of I would say that Lewis walks into a room and heads sort of turn you know and even us as friends are sort of sometimes baffled by you know like d- is he wearing love potion number nine you know what I'm saying <laughs> like I was like oh okay Lewis I yeah. see the tricks you have up your sleeve mm-hmm. he's just got this incredibly beneficial it's like a little streak. I mean, he's got other things. He's got challenge. It, he really should be in publishing. He really should be like putting information out there. He really should be like you. All three of you have this big yeah. like information streak. He Lewis just wrote is, a book. Yeah, it's yeah. weird Definitely. that he doesn't like to travel. He just mm-hmm. wrote a book. You said he needs to write a book. He needs to write a book. Yeah. But will he? <laughs> no. <laughs> he was telling me, "I heard we should write a book." I'm like, "Who's Lewis? like we?" I said, "Lewis, you write a book." <laughs> I'm working on something. <laughs> You're working on 12 things. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Uh, you, you know, Lewis is from the Midwest like me, you know? And uh, I would say that um, for him, I had that I have that wanderlust that, like, yeah. I've got to be everywhere, yeah. anywhere, in some nice space, yeah. you know, whether it's Europe, whether it's, uh, yeah. you know, Mexico, South America, somewhere. Yeah. And um, Lewis... Um, 
Lewis likes to find his his little niche, his little mm-hmm. niche. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, traveling with him is very much like where can he find his comfort food instead of I don't want that tasting menu to try anything. Well. But do people just like bring him his comfort food? Like, <laughs> I mean, he goes and get it. But I'm not making a I'm not making a reservation for Lewis. <laughs> You're the one who won't. Yeah, I'm not making. I'm not making a reservation for him at this restaurant. <laughs> you know, we don't have a good time of birth for him, so his whole chart could be in a different position. But the one thing I'm looking at is like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun, or like there's a streak of like good luck or ease or something mm-hmm. in there that I would well, say. Yeah, we yeah. love it. Yeah. I love him. Yeah, yeah. same. Lovely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but also Leo, Leo. He's Leo, Sun and Moon. Yes. Oh wow, even I mean, more than you. I know the drama. <laughs> What's his rising? Well, we don't know because oh, okay. it's, it's at the very end of Sagittarius. So if he was born five minutes later, it would be a different sign. It could be. It's on. Yeah, okay. yeah, 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 yeah. Which I think it might be. I, I don't think this is because this is a very like traveling, like mm-hmm. out there chart. I'm not yeah. sure. Yeah, that's so. n- that's not her. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right. Well. Thank you for that brief snapshot. Into oh, yeah, thank you so much. Way to sit with you. Uh, and you were born for this astrology for radical self acceptance. You uncopped uh. that in January. <laughs> January seventh. Yeah. Yes. So. Right. Thank you so thank much you. for having me. <laughs> well, we're back. Some keepers to take us into 2020 from me, Lewis, and Aida. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. Lewis, what's your keep it today? Controversial keep it. Hope you're ready. Late on us. Uh, New Year's is upon us. Keep it to champagne. I don't love it. I don't love when it's randomly offered to me at a New Year's Eve party and I have to gulp it on the spot with people. Because first of all, you don't know what kind of champagne it is. It could be kind of tasty or it could be what most champagne is, which is petrified urine. What the fuck is wrong yeah, with Yeah, what you? is going on? It is on? not good and you want a hangover? You better gulp that. I think that you just don't taste good champagne. Oh, I that cannot. Who wants to drink a lot of it? I do. I love I champagne. I love champagne. I truly would prefer Skull Vodka. I'm not kidding. Okay. What? Okay, well, that's a choice. That is a weird choice. A delicious choice with a little cranberry. Okay, maybe every champagne that you've had has been burnt. I'm, I'm not saying I'm on the wrong half of a dynasty conversation. I'm saying that could be me, but I just, I don't like, because it's, first of all, rude to turn it down, in, especially in the space of a party, in the space of we're it's all clinking glasses. It's not rude to turn it down. Do what the fuck you want. I, I'm, also, you I'm, don't have to gulp it down. You toast to it, and then you take a sip. A light sip. I just and don't. hold it. Let it get warm in your hand. I think you just don't know social norms and you're confused (laughs) when someone offers you something and think that you have to chug it down so you can win Legends of the Hidden Temple. Liquor with bubbles in it. It's a no for me. All right. I don't like like liquor that gurgles. I mean, you drink something with tonic. I don't drink tonic. Nor do I drink soda. Any other arguments while you you lose? Do you just drink your vodka straight Zangief? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Good Russia reference. Uh, no, I prefer, I like uh, uh, whiskey. I love, by the way, always buy me Johnny Walker stuff. Please. That speaks to me. I just don't get it. I just have never gotten it. Okay. I don't even like wine that much. See, this is where you fucked up. See, you, you, you think that's so? That's where you fucked up. Are you, yeah. Aida, what's your keep it? My keep it. Okay. I am disgusted. <laughs> Good. Keep it in mind. 
My keep it right now. So I just went to go on my phone and I tried to tweet something probably offensive and heinous. Mm-hmm. But um, it said that my my account features had been limited for the next 11 hours and 59 minutes. So that means I was just I just got in trouble for something. I, I must have said it recently. Girl, don't, what did you do? Don't even know what I did. I don't know what I did. I tried to tweet. Didn't work. And so my keep it is to Jack over at Twitter. Look me in my eyes. Jack, I am mad. He's not watching this. I don't. He's not on this. Uh, he's not on a Snapchat. He's not on an Instagram. You no. don't think? You think he's only on Twitter? Yes. I'm mad. He doesn't because... give a fuck about keep it. No. <laughs> well, keep it to Jack still because I started a conversation on Twitter recently about the first time a black person got called the N word. So I really believe that a lot. I'm maybe being reported by white people or conservatives because I've started this dialogue, and then a lot of people have been sending me their stories about the the first time they got called the N word. But their tweet was blocked mm. or they got suspended for that tweet because they said the N-word. But mm. these are black people. Mm-hmm. So it's this conversation of like, why can't we talk about our oppression? Why can't we talk about stories that have happened to us? Because it is inherently offensive just to view it in a public mm. place. So that's my keep it. It's kind of serious. But it's also like, fuck you, Jack. Just yeah. fuck you. If that's I, fucking what happened, that annoys I think the that's what shit happened. out of me. Yeah, the first time I got called N-word was um, 1953. It was Joe Biden <laughs> by accident. But... He still, he still said it. He meant it in a nice way. You're yeah. not being kind. <laughs> uh, I was reading Nigger Heaven by <laughs> Carl Van Heck. Right, minding your own business. And he was just saying the title of the book. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My keep it this week is to all of you cowards mm-hmm. who use iMessage. Because in 2020, my red receipts are on and my mm. knives, they're out. Even though you already saw the movie in 2019. It's going to seem passe in a little while is all I'm saying. Well, I, to be fair, in 2020, I've decided that my guns will be topped uh-huh. because <laughs> I am the foremost Tom Cruise stan. Still? He's problematic, but I love him. You're Jack reaching here. Yeah. I wouldn't say. <laughs> Stop. My short white king can make me a cocktail anytime he wants. I mean, technically the show is a minority report. There you are. I tried. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted no, to be you a part of the game. Yeah. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe second most after Amy Nicholson. She did write a book on him. Oh, right. That's correct. That's yes. correct. Yes. Um, wait, this was back to, oh, red receipts. Yeah, I do unfortunately think they are, um, to use an old term, a baller move. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ira, have yours been off in the past? They have been off in the past. Sometimes I will turn them on when I want to send a man a message. Uh-huh. But this time, I want to send everyone a message. I've read it, and I'll get to you when I get to you. Right. Or, or will I? Yeah. I just think that it will normalize the fact that you can take time to respond to a text message. It mm-hmm. doesn't need to be immediate. I feel that on Instagram DM, like when you get one, because it, it tells you seen, right. right? And you feel the compulsory, like, oh, I have to tap their reply or, oh, yeah. I have to respond right away because they've seen that I've seen it. And if I don't respond, they'll be like, oh, do they not care about me? No, I saw it while I was doing something else. Right. And you should just assume I immediately I said shut up. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Out loud to the phone. Yeah. A new wave. I'll do it too. Mm-hmm. All right. We're in this together. Yes. And listen, <laughs> when I get your message, it does not mean that my eyes are wide shut. Okay, they were open. I saw your message, and I'll get back to it soon. You saw Aida and I having a good time with the movie puns, and you wanted to join in, and now you look silly. (laughs) 
I look dumb, like I was just born on the Fourth of July. <laughs> oh shucks. <laughs> Cocktail. That was our episode. Thank you so much for listening to Keep It All of 2019. Uh, we'll see you in 2020. Thanks again to Shawnee. Thank you, Aida. Thank you, Lewis. And thank you, listeners. We'll see you next time. Keep It is a product of Crooked Media. Caroline Reston is our producer. It's Caroline like the princess. The one you don't care about. Our editor is Bill Lance, and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn and Nadine Melkonian, for filming and editing our video content every week.